Now, now we're live. <laughs> now we're live. Yeah. Hey, Peter. How's it going? Uh, it's going all right. How are you there? I'm good. Good, good. I posted a picture on Twitter this morning about my commute through the forest and all the deer I saw on my way yeah. there. Lovely. It's nice. Yeah. That's really I nice. stopped to take the picture and then uh, as soon as I I looked down there was a, a dead um pheasant pheasant is that the English word a bird yeah yeah and I almost stepped on it and it <laughs> it completely uh ruined it ruined, ruined the vibe <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh the beauty of nature and then you look to your right and the vultures just like, tearing oh, apart that's some brutal <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the nature is metal Twitter handle it's all kinds <laughs> of great stuff like that <laughs> right <laughs> it's like for every yeah. beautiful photo there's something just awful taking place that yeah yep <laughs> but uh, otherwise well there's i felt bad seal. for the bird but <laughs> otherwise it's been a good day yeah well good good to hear so um let's uh let's do a podcast i um all right i was thinking we better we better start with summit this week because it's been very uh, reform focused the past few oh. weeks okay i can do that so uh you got a few updates or want to share I, some stuff that's going on on your end yeah um i do so maybe i'll go back to maker manager to help me orient myself although it's definitely more managery these days i have to say um Maybe that's part of the update is just... Uh, Peter's not leaving a lot of crumbs. Peter hitting his stride. It, it's actually really nice because, um, you know, his uh, design skills, his UI UX intuition and his design skills mean that I'm able to... Um, it sounds really weird, but I, I do think about sort of like communication protocols between people and sort of how different people need to hear things and in sort of what format they can best receive those things. And so for some people, you really have to break things down differently than others. Peter is very good at just taking uh, generalized direction, like, hey, I think we should have a way for a user to do X. That's one way you could say it. For other people, you might say, you know, hey, we need to have this and I designed it and here's the mockups and here's the, you they really break it down. Um, I'm able to sort of product manage at a higher level uh, at the moment because I can just sort of state what the user need is and then just kind of step back and wait and see what he puts together. Now, sometimes doing some design work helps him get farther along faster, Um, but I really am enjoying seeing him use the autonomy that he has to just make decisions that frankly his, his, like I said, his intuition is good. And so I'm glad I don't have to really think through features you know to any significant depth let's put it that way um makes life almost like a human gpt3 (laughs) yeah which i guess sort of be like a human (laughs) like a human yeah i mean as i say this i think about giles too giles is really good at you know he had a large project early on in summit well early on in summit v3 where it was like build this giant IDE. And then along the way, there were these just gigantic features. So I don't want to compare the two. I think also 
there's just so much more design work that had to happen to create the initial product. But now we're more in like big features mode, not fundamental product doesn't exist mode. And when you're in that features mode, yeah, the foundation is strong. And when you're in features mode, having a developer where you don't have to design the feature, you know, like, hey, we want to have boards able to be private now. Go ahead and just design the user experience as well. And just having a modal show up that I can comment on, but I don't have to design is awesome, you know. And uh, I feel like we're really, um, our velocity is really good now in terms of let's create this and let's ship this. So we did ship. Um, it sounds like you're becoming more of an editor. Yeah, exactly. Much more of an editor on the product side. And on the marketing side, I've been an editor for a while, thanks to Ryan and his ability to just author product updates from scratch and um, customer communications, lifecycle emails, all of that. So I've been an editor for a while on that side. Now I'm an editor on the product side. There was a little bit of a dip transitioning from Giles to Peter where I had to do editing and building for the product. And I'm just glad to be back into the editing mode and you know, full, full speed ahead. Um, so yeah, it feels, feels really good. And we released the front end, uh, a lot of, the, well, actually <laughs> front end, back end this is complicated, but on the front end, there's a bunch of code that's now live that isn't being leveraged yet, but it's live. And in the coming week, we're going to be shipping the take advantage of that new code, uh, to end users so they can do stuff with it. And mostly that's going to be, to put it in concrete terms, let's say you have uh, a model that has really, let's use a simple example, two events, revenue and a bank account. Right now with the bank account, like in the table, you have to choose, do I want to see the bank account's balance or do I want to see how much money has come into the bank account, right? Those You have to choose the way that gets shown in your table. You can't have both. So with the new release, you're able to have both. But even better, if you just arbitrarily want to take that bank account balance and divide by some number, if you want to calculate something like a quick ratio, which is a SaaS term or sales term that determines growth, you know, growth and churn relationships, you're going to be able to add these kinds of formulas to your table. And it just adds them. It doesn't have to rerun the simulation. It just does it in the browser, in the table, runs these simple calculations and so you could have a model that's just say five or six events but you could have a table that has 20 metrics in it because they're all just different sort of calculations or formulas based on those events based on your model but still the the nice thing about summit is still we're keeping those separate you know you have a clean representation of the model and then you have your table with all these values in it which are things you can derive from the model and you can still see those really clearly and um and work with them separately. So that's coming. Sets the stage for charts, which is related, if you trust me. Um, so we'll be able to do charts soon. But uh, that's where we're at from a product standpoint. And it just feels so good to be hitting, I, I want to say hitting something like parity. Now, not parity with like spreadsheets per se, but maybe parity with like what, <laughs> what like maybe... 60% of users' usage of spreadsheets are. So, like, I know spreadsheets can do a bazillion things, and, the, you know, you click one drop down in Microsoft products and you get like 100 things. But just to be adding these 
core features and feeling like the product doesn't have a lot of those awkward sort of walls around it where like the user's like, oh, well, can I do this? And like you're sitting there in your mind as a founder going, okay, of course that should be possible, right? But it's just not right now. You know, this is removing those really silly walls from the product. And so now, yeah, sure, it doesn't do, it's probably never going to do the thousand and one things that Excel or other tools do, but that's not where we're headed, right? We're actually headed in a different direction, but we do need to cover our bases. Just like what people expect when they see something that looks like a spreadsheet, like they they expect to like be able to throw a little formula in there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Throw a little formula in, see a little chart and then, oh, wow, this whole part is very different and that's cool. But like you're telling me I can't have a chart? That's silly, right? So like, yeah, that is silly. We're gonna we're gonna fix that and then really think move into differentiated features again in Q2. So things that wouldn't even really make sense in a spreadsheet context, but make a lot more sense in Summit's context. And very excited about that. Um, so it's probably a good segue to the marketing side of the house. I've been talking with Ryan about the new marketing site, which is not concrete yet so we don't have anything written up but we're working we're going to be working on that and we really had a long this is kind of fun i mean it it was definitely fun it was just a long discussion last week a couple hours on the phone just talking through you know i was pacing around my backyard just doing laps which i like to do while i'm talking just helps me think you know like talking about how are we going to explain what summit is you know to people two months from now, given what we're trying to be when we grow up, you know, and is it a financial planning tool? Is it a modeling tool? Is it a, what the heck is it? Right. And we, by the end of that, we really got to some clarity about where we're willing to place our bet, like our big bet, kind of a go all in feeling about, okay, I think this is what summit is. And that felt, it just feels so, having that clarity just feels so good, right? Because you could, then you can just feel good about other decisions that you're making. Like, okay, if that's true, then obviously. Yeah, it's like dominoes. Not this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It is like dominoes. It's like, oh, that's why we shouldn't build a QuickBooks integration right now, right? Or that's why we shouldn't do this ever, you know? Um and, oh, that's why, so I, I'll give you a concrete example. We're thinking more and more about Summit as a platform. And the reason I call it that is we want to let people publish the models that they create. And so I do think of a like publishing platform. You know, WordPress is a platform. Um, YouTube, a platform. So can people publish the models that they create in Summit? And they might publish those just for themselves or for their team, but they could also publish those for the world. And I think that's the big, big picture here is that people can publish models and then other people can use them, consume them. And one thing that made really clear was like, okay, that means that we should really be supporting how these models get used from a developer con- developer side. You know, I want to come and use a model. That means I just need to know which model I'm using, get an API key to it, and just start using it in my own app, Right. I don't need to learn Summit at all, really. I, I'm not interested in learning Summit. 
And then the other side is like, oh, wow, our focus should be on education and teaching people how to build models in Summit and why they should want to use Summit as a language and just building up this educational focus on this side. And those are two completely different uh, efforts, right? But they, they, but they feed each other, like they, they support one another. You know, I want to learn how to build and publish models in Summit because there's people who want to use them. I come to Summit to get models because there are people who know how to create models with it. And so that's that sort of platform effect of having both sides. But from our standpoint, it really helps us when a user or somebody comes to us and says, hey, I want X. <laughs> Just to have that initial segmentation in our minds of going, okay, which one of those are they? And where does that need of theirs fit into our focus with that group? Like, is this a person who wants to learn Summit language better? And so they fit into that group? Or is this person saying, hey, I don't actually want to learn it. I just want to connect my QuickBooks to something and have a financial forecast. That's actually somebody who probably wants to use an app that's developed, you know, using a model that somebody made in Summit. But that's kind of like somebody coming to YouTube and saying like something about commercial editing. And YouTube is like, okay, I know that you want a certain commercial, you know, in these videos or whatever. Like that's kind of not our... That's not our job in that sense. Like our job is to help people publish videos and help you find videos. But like specific kinds of videos, that's really going to be up to the people that, you know, how people use it. Like that's not our role in the, in the world here. And so that really um, just shines a bright light on what we, our roadmap, like what we should be really eager to tackle and what we should actually let the market work out over time and not try to get ahead of ourselves and become the, uh, maybe like an Airbnb, it's like, oh, you know, everybody's just coming to them saying they want like ski in, ski out, you know, places. And so then they end up building like an entire product that's just oriented to skiing rentals. (laughs) It's like, that's not their job, really. Like their job is to help people find places that they want to stay in and list places that they want to list. And like some of this niche specific stuff is not their product's job. It's really up to how people use the tools that they give them, right? Um, And I think when you're entering such a large space, just having that clarity is really freeing because then you can say no to a lot more things, but you also know in the back of your mind, like I'm not saying no, like you're you're not going to find a great place to ski and ski out on, on Airbnb, but I'm just saying that like that's not our product team's job is to build that for you, right? Um, so that's where we got to from a marketing and positioning standpoint. Can last I ask week. you a question? Yeah. If you if you meet someone at a cocktail party, if that's mm. a thing in your life, not ready for this question <laughs> yet, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm not ready <laughs> in multiple like friends, ways. But yes, or talk to like friends and family <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. Over a call. How do you, how do you explain Summit these days? I, I, who's I'm not an entrepreneur. Like, yeah. So these days, that's a good point. Actually, that helps me. Thank you for adding that. I do tailor it to who I'm talking to because I, I think that it doesn't make sense to everybody to explain it the same way. Um, that's very hard to do it. I'd, I'd say I'm not there yet. But what I, what I would tell the average person is, hey, you know how people build things in spreadsheets. 
and uh well actually this is a good point like for if i was talking to somebody who's not an entrepreneur maybe even not even tech technical the most recent way i described it was yeah i'm working on my second software company um and you can think of it as a new way to build spreadsheets right or to make spreadsheet like things and they're just like oh okay like it's software that's in that bucket of tools that you know I f- vaguely familiar with. If they're a little bit farther along, I would say something like, like somebody random at microconf or something. Hey, you know how like people will see a spreadsheet and they want to like turn that into a product. Today, like a developer has to come and rewrite that model in Ruby or Python or PHP or whatever to build a product. Like we're making it possible for somebody who develops the model to just publish that model for anybody to use, right? And they do that using this tool called Summit, right? So it's a model development platform. And they're like, huh. And then I give them an example, you know, and then we kind of go from there. So I wouldn't say that there's uh there's no concise version of it yet, but that's the big challenge, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, figuring out that very concise version. Um, but the way I'm thinking about it myself is... You know, there's 20-something million web developers out there. I, I have no idea if that's accurate. It's just a Google stat that I found. Um, 20-something million web developers out there. There's 800 million registered users of Google Sheets. Let's just say some percentage of them are building real models, right? Could be 20 million. There's as many model developers in the world quite easily as there are web developers, but the tools that model developers have is just spreadsheets, which is kind of ridiculous, right? Like, so Summit's mission in that sense is to give model developers the same kind of source control, versioning, publishing, monetization abilities, like give them the same tools that like web developers have, but they don't have for some reason because they're, they're not coders, you know, it's just kind of stupid, right? So it's, that's, I've been thinking about that mission a lot. It's like, how do we really help those talented people bring <laughs> models to market, right? That currently Sounds go big. into a G- go into a Google Sheet or a spreadsheet, and then they just sit there. And it's stupid. They're selling spreadsheets online that you can download for you know ninety nine bucks or a hundred bucks. And I'm like, shouldn't that be code instead that you can like license and make money but off even of just and... like so like i think the market of if you look at how many people built models and spreadsheets it must, must be a tiny fraction that actually sell their models just putting yeah. companies or like accountants or whatever they've built so many models that that they sent you know the, the spreadsheet that you mentioned a few times where don't change any of these tabs just go here and like yeah change this number right <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's very common like also yeah. just like within companies and that's no different than the coding world right so yeah you're right there's a very small percentage of people who write software that they themselves take to market right but if you think about all the software that's being written and put into github for companies internal tooling companies own products where you're just a contributor it's a lot. It's a lot of development yeah. going on. So, so you're putting the developer in model developer. Yeah, exactly. That was, <laughs> so that's the phrase that I came up with was, you know, I kept thinking modelers, modelers, model. I'm like, eh, what is it? I'm like, I think they're model developers. And if we treat them like 
developers, then they get tools like, you know, GitHub and Heroku and Netlify or whatever it is, like give them, you know, an IDE that doesn't treat them like they're just writing assembly, which is what Excel feels like, you know, put this number here, put this number there, connect these numbers, go to this line. Like, you know, it's... Um, I'm picturing you jumping around stage and at a, at a future summit con. Oh, geez. No, no. The bombers. Developers. <laughs> modelers, modelers. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I think that's a fine mental image to transition over to you with. Um, so, <laughs> thank you, Peter. <laughs> How's uh, Reform going, man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, better than last week is mm. uh, the short version. We, Good. Uh, Good start. I've been going back and forth with DigitalOcean support about our Redis issues, and mm. they... Um, they can't see them on their end. So at, at one of their the first uh, responses I got from them was that they thought maybe we just uh, had a logging error in our Sentry account. So basically saying that the error wasn't actually happening mm. made me really angry. Gaslighting um, you is the first step. Yeah. <laughs> just deny. So that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you parried. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now, now we're agreeing that the error <laughs> is so happening, bad. but they don't know why it's happening. Um, okay. But basically, first, you're, you got out of denial, <laughs> the denial phase. <laughs> yeah, we we started talking to each other now, Jeez. and um, so um, basically, what uh, Bjorn and I have been doing is just built some workarounds, um, and just basically, what we've done is we've made forms um, entirely not being dependent on redis no longer okay yeah so you can submit a reform um and we get the submission no matter if redis is even online mm. it now there's still yeah, um there's there would still be some usability issues around redis in, like entirely being offline uh, mm. we like we wouldn't be able to process all our integrations like we wouldn't send webhooks and and emails and stuff like that, but we would get all. We would even with Redis being completely offline, we would still get all the submissions. Yeah. In the database, so basically, uh, the way Reform works from like an architectural standpoint is there's kind of like before and after a form is submitted, mm-hmm. and everything before the form is submitted would work, and everything that happens after a form was submitted is kind of replayable in a sense. Mm-hmm. So. Once a form is submitted, Reform throws an event that a lot of things listens for in the code base. So like all okay. integrations and everything kind of is, is kick-started when the form was submitted, event is fired. Okay. And a lot of that stuff happens asynchronously on, on the queue, which is Redis-based. Can I, I want to interrupt for a second. You, you had said in our mastermind Slack that I thought you kind of solved it or you thought you had solved it. It was like, a, oh, we did this and they told us we should try this. I think what you're saying is now that it's escalated, that actually wasn't a permanent fix, like the way you were doing something regarding authentication or credentials no, or something. No, yeah. Okay. they One of the, we get, we, you get a new person every time they reply oh, to you. Great. Their support. Okay. So the first, one of the first ones that kind of took it seriously suggested that we used a different way to authenticate. Okay. And I asked a few follow-up questions, and then he was like, yeah, no, actually, that's not going to change anything. Ugh. 
fantastic um discontinuity but yeah is... basically so like worst case if and 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 that's like that's not the issue we're having but like worst case if redis went offline mm -hmm. we're still collecting submissions and we could in theory replay all those submissions by throwing the form was submitted event if that makes okay. sense yeah so let's say redis is offline for an hour and we get uh, x amount of submissions mm -hmm. we could just after an hour go back in and s kind of tell reform that all those submissions happened and it could replay or play uh, the okay. integrations webhooks and emails and stuff like that i mean okay. it's not ideal but at least we're resilient sure. enough to do that that's and good then the other thing we've been doing is if there's a con connectivity issues with redis we'll retry up to five times and we do what's called an exponential backoff strategy. So we wait longer and longer exponentially. Mm -hmm. And uh, since we did that, uh, we haven't seen any other Redis errors. Hmm. So okay. that's basically good enough for the, for, for the, that's been enough to kind of like handle their instability, you could say. Okay. So yeah. it's still not ideal, but at least it's not urgent right now because we're kind of, yeah. So it, it made us make the whole system more resilient because yeah. we had to, in a sense. And um, yeah, so but now <laughs> it, the thing is, we have more time now to figure out what the best next step is. That's good. And uh, yeah, I still don't know what it is uh, going to be. It's not going to be a fork. <laughs> I have, I think um, I had a 200... Uh, message thread with Derek in Slack after the, uh, the last I saw time we that. talked. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you didn't read through it. <laughs> it's a long I, one. I, I did. I admit to swiping through that one pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, fixing most of the Redis issues and making everything more stable helped my mental <laughs> state mm. a bit. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's kind of granted me more... Um, peace of mind and yeah clearer thinking yeah clearer thinking so i can yeah probably make a better decision and we have a lot of other things that we need to do uh besides uh figuring out where to host this um mm -hmm. and we have a runway and everything so yeah we'll see where we end i'm really unhappy with the digital ocean setup um Right now, the, my main issue is that deployments are really slow, as I talked about as well. They're saying that they're trying to make them faster, and they mm. hope that we'll bear with them. Mm. I've heard them say that for more than a year, so we'll see Yeah, if it's something they're able to fix. Um, mm. But it's, it's making us very risk-averse, <laughs> because we know if we make a, a mistake... It's going to take a longer time to fix it because it's hard mm. to roll stuff back. So we're very conservative <laughs> with stuff we try. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. But anyways, so um, still no clear uh, direction there. Like I don't, I haven't decided yet basically where we're going. We are, um, we just ended a um, our first six-week cycle, which is kind of what we moved to. So the kind of the shape up six week cycle um, setup. And we're going into a, the cool down period of that two mm. weeks. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we have kind of on our list for this cool down is obviously looking at new hosts and think about like 
how much do you want to do now? Uh, what's like most urgent? Can we wait with doing some of it or just move some of it or put in some stuff that make it easier to roll back or um, change, make changes faster, mm. basically. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things we want to do this um, in this cooldown. Mm-hmm. We, we have a few other things, but basically um we uh we're doing some r&d and some shaping of the next cycle and playing around with some new ideas and kind of planning out what's what's the next thing we're gonna yeah. work on um, yeah which is yeah i was gonna ask <laughs> waiting yeah so it's kind of two focus areas on the on the product side it's um more of the power user features so um, that's stuff like team functionality, um, some more power user features like managing responses better uh, mm. inside of Reform. You'll be yeah. able to do more stuff with the responses you're getting. Um, bunch of things around like for people that are more like advanced users. And um, something we've been, been excited to dedicate some time to. Uh, we get a lot of people asking for team access. It's like if you're serious enough about reform that you want your whole team to have access, we should let you do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thankfully, thankfully, we actually built it in from day one. We just didn't. We don't have a kind of like a UI for it, so mm. it's uh, it's not too bad to to ship it. Yeah, and then on the marketing side, it's freemium and a new pricing. It's I just kept coming back to so it. So exciting! I, I know we talked. <laughs> I know we talked about it uh, last week as well. But when I'm thinking about things that we can do um, that'll are truly mo- needle moving, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to think of anything that's bigger than freemium, basically. And may, like maybe I'm deceiving myself. Maybe I maybe I think it's a silver bullet or something like that. But from a logical point of view like i just can't see why it wouldn't make sense for us to do it like it just it feels like it aligns a lot of things like if we make the product better more people are going to use it more people are going to see it and more people are going to want to try it because it was better and so it just becomes a flywheel in a sense and um, Mm -hmm. i've actually been doing some some competitor research from some of our og competitors from that had this viral loop going like five to ten mm. years ago yeah and i i i think we're just basically gonna rip off <laughs> everything that they did yeah because why not i think it worked really well it for worked. them and i don't yeah. think i don't think the world has changed that much in the past right. five years in terms of how virality works in a form builder yep. and and those companies don't have that virality anymore because they they aren't optimizing for uh you know that type of growth right now they're optimizing for uh profitability and making a lot of money and everyone knows their names and we're not at that stage like our goal is to get a lot of people to use reform and then if a lot of people use reform we'll find a way to make money from them eventually yeah or sooner so yeah you will learn so so, i mean this maybe uh, add my three cents here uh maybe two if you're constrained on how much you know 
like freemium also is a really awesome tactic let's put it that way because you're going to get so much more market insight like right now the market for forms is so big <laughs> that with your current user base although i love the fact you have revenue and i love you have paying customers like it's just such a tiny percentage of the market like you are actually more starved for insights than you or i even realize in terms of like what the market needs because there's no way that's representative <laughs> so i'm excited about what you're going to learn and then you know worst case scenario you walk things back more likely, I think, is you realize what you should be charging for and yeah. like what's going to really work. And your mark, your top of funnel is off to the races, right? The, um, which I think is a underutilized tool for a, you know, a product centric indie hacker, right? To use it's like you're good at making right. product, have that be your marketing, right? Makes sense. You, you asked on Twitter what people's number one requested feature was, and freemium is pretty high up there for reform. Mm. Yeah, and the cyn- cynically, it just makes it's like sense, right? Cynically, it's like oh, people just want something for free. It's like yeah, but people are also willing to pay for certain things. So what is it that that person is willing to pay for? It and just, it's not truly free because mm. I'm I just sponsored six newsletters. Mm. And that's right. I know, and it costs money to get views. Marketing <laughs> costs money. To your website, <laughs> yeah. And 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 these people that are asking for a free version of Reform, they expect to pay in a different currency, which right. is they have some sort of, you know, they're gonna pay exactly for their usage. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. If they if they if they get a hundred submissions, we get promoted a hundred times. That's right. And so they're, it's very fair. <laughs> it is. You're getting something. And then I think yeah. people's, the fear is that you cannot come up with something else. You've given away the the crown jewels. Like you can't go anywhere yeah. from here now, you know. And I don't I, uh, believe that's true because you'll come up with something, I believe. I, I have to believe that. I thought about this uh the other day so i have this lake that i talked about on a previous episode that so my new thing to do is drive up to this lake there's a nice viewpoint just sit in the car with my laptop and think about things for a while and Mm, and take mm -hmm. some notes and it's kind of it's kind of on the way home from the office if i drive if i if i make a little uh drive for like an extra 10 minutes so it's it's my new (laughs) my new thing to do and i did that the other day um and I I tried to think about who do we want, who do we want to pay and who do we not want to pay, because I think that's where we can screw up this. And and basically what I realized is, the people that don't want to pay and we don't want to pay, are like the bloggers, the podcasters, the newsletter writers. They have audiences, but they don't necessarily have a lot of money, and they want to pay. By mm-hmm. having a reform branded form that they can use for free whenever they need it, and they don't like, for example, on this podcast, if we were to use a tool like Reform, one of us has to pay for it because we don't have like an entity for the podcast. We don't have a company for the podcast. We don't have like a, a set way that we split costs. Yeah, like, you know, 
Yeah. Like one, one of us yep. pays for the domain and another one pays for the hosting or whatever. Like it's the just, only, you don't, the real currency we have, like you said, is, a, is a small growing audience that gets exposed to the so tools. It's, it's much easier for us to just get something for free, but that promote the tool. So, and so it's, it's really hard to get, it's probably not that hard for us specifically, but first this type of setup, it's hard to get people to pay a lot of money. Whereas for the, the companies that are paying for reform right now, well, we have some outliers that are they're getting like thousands of uh, responses, but most of them, they get very few responses. Like they might only get a few per week, but it's still worth to them to pay because reform solves a problem for them. They don't have to like build, like they need a form for something. They yeah. just do because they're a business and they don't want to code that themselves. And they also don't want to use Google forms or, a free form tool that has like the wrong branding because that's kind of like not very serious. Mm -hmm. So they're willing to pay. And also we don't really want them to use it for free because they're not going to attract many other uh, customers because they have such low volume. Yep. It's very hard to attach. Like the value is not just based on the scale or volume of submissions or usage, right? It's It's almost opposite. Yeah, it's, it's very, very, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Which makes, like, which makes Freemium like the perfect mm. uh, business model in a sense. When you think mm-hmm. about it, because if the people that has a big audience don't want to pay for it, and the people that don't have a big audience wants to pay for it, like, it's just per- kind of perfectly aligned. Yeah, And as you also said last time, if one, like, let's say this podcast took off, like we would find a way to pay for stuff. Like we would, you know, we would take it yeah. more seriously probably. So if we had reform and we got like several thousand responses to something, like maybe we would pay a little bit to like have some more advanced features or That's whatever, right. like do more with it. Yeah. It's often this way in enterprise. Like I remember talking to Jane Portman of UserList as well about charging different enterprise customers versus you know, people in the enterprise markets versus SMB markets, different amounts based on how many subscribers, whatever they have. And I don't know what their price model is currently, so I'm not going to try to share that. But the takeaway was, yes, yeah, somebody could have like 150 records, but if those records are like VPs and SVPs and all these giant companies, like the value is completely irrespective of the size of the list, right? It wasn't that clear. In other words, you can't just use that, right? There's not there's not a clear uh, value to, like a- attached to a reform response. That's right. It's yeah, very different. Lot. That's right. It's like saying how much is your mail worth. It's like well, a lot of mail is junk or worthless, and then a few pieces are super valuable. And yeah, yeah. I mean, that's if, tough. if if you have a, a a pricing table of your three pricing tiers, and then you have a, a contact us for an enterprise quote. And that links mm-hmm. to a reform. It probably doesn't matter if you only get ten responses a month. It's nope. probably worth paying for it. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's good, so man. I'm excited that's about that. But there's just a lot to figure out in terms of like there's the just like the the pricing itself is kind of mm-hmm. like a lot to just make. It needs to work for us and not just like it. it I think it's the the pricing model and the way we slice that is kind of the it's what determines if this will work or not it's yeah the, the fuel but also there's a lot just to figure out about okay 
what about existing customers what about new customers both like you know what what do we want to happen with them but also what's going to actually happen in the product how, do, how are we going to manage that um how are we going to control who has access to what and and when and how and and how are we going to communicate this uh what emails do we need to send what uh blog posts do we need to write what uh changes do we need to make to the website um mm-hmm. all this stuff but yeah. the same way that you described like i can tell that the, the closer we get to like understanding like the basic model we want more of the dominoes dominoes fall into place like just an example Mm -hmm. like i've been struggling for a few weeks like i've had it on my to-do list to write a kind of like a comparison page with a big competitor Mm -hmm. and it's just (laughs) been for some reason it's been difficult for me to like what to focus on on there but if reform is free it just becomes easier because <laughs> it's because they're not free, and yeah, this is like a very easy thing for people to understand. <laughs> I think it's also like uh, this is the product, you know, DNA in me. But I, I just find it funny that like the status quo, like the boring vanilla thing being free, it's okay as long as that wasn't actually your vision for the product, right? Like, if that is just the foundation, then you're telling me you can't figure out what people really want, which is like saving the results or analyzing the this or doing the this. There's, of course, there's more stuff to that workflow, right, than the core foundational thing. And I think that's, with freemium, that's often a good model. It's like, give away the foundational thing, the the, sort of the stage for everybody to use and be on. And then segment from there and realize that, what people's needs are with that are different and you can charge for that. So it's like the beginning. Yeah, I'm not worried about that. No, and, and that's, like, yeah, it's, I mean, you guys have way too many we, ideas. To, we to know, be worried like, about we that. know, we know that we can build good products. And if, if we can figure out distribution, like if, if we could build a free product that exactly, you're switching the bet to use. Yes. We would, we would figure something we out. We said this on a previous freemium episode. Now I'm just sort of like, quoting ourselves but like we said you're switching the bet freemium is moving the bet on yourself from can i get distribution as a couple of people who are really good at product to can i build a product worth paying for right yeah and of course you should shift that bet if you can because that's what you're good at yeah right and i think it's so funny that people (laughs) yeah obviously i have an axe to grind against people who reject freemium as like they because they think it's the opposite i'm like no you're betting on your your own product abilities right yeah anyway which i believe i, in I you said guys. something last week that sounded just kind of like catchphrasey which was we we we're making the product the top of the funnel but i think it's worth mm. kind of like diving into it a little bit mm-hmm. like it's actually just think about how powerful that is if that's the case i I was listening to uh, the Indie Hackers podcast with uh, one of the Loom founders. And just think hmm. about like how powerful that is. It's yes, pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, once you get people using it and their data is flowing in, the number of ways that you can deliver value on top of that is pretty endless. And also you're taking away all of their reasons 
for not using it to do a basic thing like, oh, I want to do a poll of my podcast listeners. I'm going to use a Google yeah. form instead. And you're like, no, <laughs> get reform out there. Well, it's, and I don't want to pay eight bucks. Not, I mean, currently yeah. it's, it's not like, at least that's not my <laughs> impression that people don't want to be associated with the reform brand because they find it gross or whatever. Like it's not sure. like for, for a lot of use cases, even like, you know, like high uh, tier influence type people on Twitter. Like I could see them use the free version of reform because even if the people that fill out their form get like a reform branded thank you page afterwards, mm-hmm. it's not like they find that really like appalling or something. It's like, Right. Reform is a it's a cool you know tool that people are talking about and tweeting about and yep. So at yep. least for now, we I don't think we've screwed up enough that people want to like never get associated with Reform's brand or something like that. So I think it makes sense to have that just be like an easy way to try it out and and that's just how you pay for it. It's just you and share if, your audience a little bit. <laughs> I think one of the one of the pieces of advice on freemium that has stuck with me is the market needs to be gigantic because obviously you're going to have a smaller percentage of people overall paying for the thing by, you know, intentionally, but the forms market is, is so gigantic that that's okay. Like as soon as that influencer has a personal brand worth putting a logo on or worth controlling in some way, they're going to upgrade. But until then they're using reform as their tool. Like that's, you're basically starting them on a customer journey, right? Yeah. And you could almost think of it as like, they are a customer, the price is zero. Your goal is to get them, it's, it's all expansion revenue, in other words. So how do you get them to upgrade, right? And you're just removing one step off the upgrade path and pulling it down and saying, it starts at zero, not starts at eight or 20. You can't get that person to upgrade ever? You know, of course you can. So when are you going to do this, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had another friend ask me the same question earlier today. Yeah, I mean we're working on it, but I want to kind of nail it. I want to make I want to make sure it's a good experience. Of course, we, uh, I sent you some mug ups, you and Derek, in Slack today about some of our th- thoughts. Oh wait, uh, in what tool? I don't I don't not familiar with this tool today. <laughs> I don't think it's working. Slack is having a bit of a rough day. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the founders of June tweeted a, a, a screenshot of Slack just being down, and he just tweeted, we don't sell saddles here. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, we don't chat here either, apparently, at the yeah. moment at least. So, ouch. Yeah. I sent yep. you another question uh, that was something I was trying to wrap my head around, but I was reading an an interview with the head of growth of Typeform from five years ago, and he's talking about freemium and growth and, and how it doesn't make sense to try to grow a bad product. So you got to make sure that you have some sort of product market fit. Mm. And and he said, if you're not sure, like there are basically like two ways to kind of figure out if you have it. And the first one is to look at your user retention and to see if your retention curve flattens out at a given point in time. Mm-hmm. And and the, and if, if you don't have enough volume to kind of do that, Another way is to see if people talk about your product, like tweet about it and stuff. Mm-hmm. People do that about reform, so that that's definitely definitely good. the The retention stuff. I, speaking of June, I set that up not uh, that long ago for, to measure our retention, 
Mm. And it's such a cool tool when you're using segment because it just pulls out the data from there. So you don't have to configure anything specifically to get June to work. And I, you, they have these templates. One of them is for retention and kind of the event I picked to start was that someone signs, starts a trial, which is credit card upfront for refar. And then mm -hmm. the, the way I set that they were active is that they get a, a submission per week. Because in my head, I thought, like, if I'm a business owner and I have reform and I know that I got a submission a couple days ago. You're going to keep it. Yeah. it. You're never going to have a moment where you're like, get rid of this. Right. Yeah. No. If people probably. are still filling out a form, it's probably because it needs to be online somehow. Yep. Yep. So um, it, it, flat, it flattens out pretty quickly, actually, at around 25%. I mm. think there's a big drop off after the first week because that's people that don't get activated basically. So they start a trial, but they never really get activated. That's uh, mm -hmm. maybe 30% or something like that. But then also it's all the people that just has, let me try this tool and send it to my email list or tweet a form or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then they don't get any submissions after the first week. But I was trying to wrap my head around what he actually meant about a retention curve that flattens out. And I've heard you talk about it as well many times. But so my my current understanding or like simplified way of understanding it was that when the curve flattens out, it's almost like it's the product market fit people that are left, if that makes sense. Yes. Those Is are the people who be very... Or? No, I... I, I I've tweeted this before. Like, I think those that's Sean Ellis's percentage of people who'd be very disappointed if they didn't have this product anymore. You've because run. They would have to find a new product to use because they are actually using it. Yeah, they're loyal to this thing for yeah. the long haul. They're 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 loyal. So you've wrung out all the people who would be slightly disappointed over a long enough time frame. There's enough reasons for them to move from slightly disappointed or not disappointed to just being gone. And yeah. then you're left with that basis. And it's funny because the percentages of, you know, let's say, what is it, 40%, 35%. He's got some magic number in there. Rahul Vora uses it as well because he was just stealing yeah, from Sean. 40. 40% 40, 40 just happens to be, drum roll, a really solid long-term retention rate, right, for yeah. SaaS. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and anything north of that is gold. So, yeah. Um, and I think 25% is pretty common as well. It's cool because, like, I thought about it a bit today, and it's, it's like once you once the curve flattens out for reform, it's very sticky. Like, mm -hmm. there's almost no churn. It, That's it, right. It really flattens out. So we have we have a lot of churn early on, but then it just. But then the thing I realized today is at that because I I told my friend yeah I mean we're definitely not like hosting company territory you know like WP Engine with two percent churn or whatever, but essentially for the like we probably are a hosting company for those people that stick around because we host their forms and it's yes. like recurring forms that needs to stick around for a long time probably. Yes. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so the retention rate, uh, you know, the percentage of people that leave goes down over time from a single cohort. And then you're just left with the people who, yeah, have committed to this thing for the long haul, they've made it a part of their lives and the price is right, so why the heck would they change it? Now they're actually averse to change in the other direction, which is Yeah. I don't want to have to deal with changing that. It works. Why am I why would I want to do that? Um I already and have so, four forms. <laughs> that's right. Um I've I mean there are 
So enough people have shared enough retention data with me about their SaaS businesses over the last four years that I can say that people have built really respectable SaaS businesses off of 20% retention. The key is they have a enormous top of funnel yeah. because you have to plow so many people in because you're going to lose eight out of 10, right? But then you get to keep those two. And so you would need something like a viral loop or something like that. Viral loop or affiliate programs, <laughs> referrals, you need something, right? Something like free maybe and something that like when Rhymes people see premium. it, they <laughs> sign up for more. Yeah. Um, and that actually is, you know, part of the reason that these go together is that in order for that to work, you have to have a really large top of funnel because it has to overcome that. Now, yeah. I'll also say there's nothing wrong with improving that. So if you can improve that at all, obviously yeah. do it. But anything north of 20% and you can build a business um, in a giant market, right? So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> where where are, are you sharing or did you say where you're at in terms of those numbers yeah it looks like it's about 25 i think it's a bit misleading because we're counting from when they start a trial mm-hmm. not from when the when they become a customer after the trial ends so i think we could probably shave up the 30 percent yeah yeah which would make it higher yeah so once people become customers it's yeah, very high. It would be a bit higher than 25%. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You could like model that or something if you wanted to. I think it would be too hard to do in a spreadsheet, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah crap. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, oh, well, well, we'll, we'll talk about it offline <laughs> since Slack is down. If definitely listeners offline. have a tool or something. They if can anybody can recommend a tool that has retention curves built in, that would make it easy. <laughs> yeah. We'll We'll talk. We're recommend something <laughs> yeah we're all ears <laughs> love it love oh it. we got an important meeting now matt so yep uh, better go to that yep <laughs> i'll see you there see you see you there bye right. bye <laughs>